We're so glad you guys are here. Welcome to everybody in Palm Bay and the land. We're so glad you're there. Everybody that's watching online, welcome. Uh, I want to take a few minutes to recap and to pray. Um, first of all, we have a team from Palm Bay going to Anchor Ridge up in the mountains. Here's their team. They posed last week, and we're going to pray for them during this time. But I wanted to say thank you and let you know what you're doing. Uh, you have invested about $25,000 in the rescue efforts in Louisiana and Tennessee uh, and in Haiti. Uh, you're buying water filters. You're buying food, medicine, clothes, all of that. And then last week we had the big challenge on the table about Afghanistan. A couple of families stepped up and committed 30000 and we challenged you to match that. So anybody, uh, anybody want to guess how we did? We had a $30,000 match on the table. Excellent. And you guys gave a hundred, you guys gave $110,000. So we went back and we looked and just to tell you what you're, what's happening with that money, um, 58 of our pastors got killed, uh, that first week. Our crew got in. And I can't tell you a lot, but our crew got in and rescued the wives and their children. And uh, we're taking full care of them. Uh, another group of widows and orphans they found in a cave deep underground. They got them out, got them into shelter. We have thousands of war orphans that we're working with. Uh, so a family stepped up again. And we've got the food packing program. And uh, that's we'll get to that in a second. But they gave enough to pay for the food packing program, and they said, challenge the church to do another 30, and we'll match that. Amen. So we have another grant, um, challenge on the table. Uh, this will be our last week for Afghanistan, but we're hoping that we can get 150000 total. Uh, it's going to cost 400000 just to rescue all the orphans. That's, what, that's just the truth of what's going on right now. So thanks. You're being a part of one of the greatest... Uh, evacuation moves in all of human history. And we're going to be in heaven one day, and there's going to be a line of Afghans. You're going, I didn't know any Afghan people. And they're going to be coming up and hugging you and thanking you for your prayers and for your giving. Now, the food packing program is totally paid for. A family stepped up and paid for that. What we need for that Friday is workers. And if, how many of you have ever worked the food packing? Okay. A lot of you. So, you know, uh, basically you stand in the line and pour stuff in a bag and somebody else seals the bag. Our goal there is to uh, have 78,000 meals for people who were hit by the earthquake in Haiti. And that one's totally paid for. We just need workers. And you can sign up either online or out at guest services. They'll take care of you. So there's a summary. Let's pray for everybody that is in peril or on the mission field. Father, right now I pray for David's team as they get ready to go um, to Anchor Ridge to work with some of the poorest folks in America to bring the physical needs as well as the gospel with them. We pray for the food packing and the people in Haiti. We pray for the people in Afghanistan that, that we are moving, that we are feeding, that we are giving medicine to, that we are moving out of the country and rescuing their lives. Father, that I thank you for a church that's generous and giving and praying. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, so we're, um, 
We're going to look at Isaiah 49 today. Get your Bibles out and take a look at this. I entitled it The Ultimate Job Description. Because if, if a church doesn't have a job description, you're not going to get anywhere. If individuals don't have a job description as Christians, we're not going to get anywhere. Now, the vision statement of this church, Cord's better at articulating this than I am, but here it is. We exist to make it hard to go to hell from our generation. That's the purpose of the church. So we're not putting out just some statements and saying we want to love people and we want to make people happy. No, we have one specific task, and that is to rescue people from the fires of hell. All right, that's the purpose. And if you want to see a church that lost it, you can go to Revelation 2, where we're going through the seven churches of Revelation, and John talks about the church in Ephesus. And the church in Ephesus was doing everything right. He said, you do this right, this right, this right, this right, this right, but I have one thing against you. You lost your first love. You forgot about Jesus. You forgot that this is all about God becoming flesh and dying for you on the cross. They were, even in the first century, they found a way to already mess this up. And turn it into a social network that did good things, but they'd lost their love for Jesus. So years ago, I was in a, a meeting with a bunch of preachers. One of the preachers walked in and he said, gentlemen, the business of the church is saving souls. We all agreed. And then he looked at us right in the eye and he said, how's business? Because nothing else matters. So that's a church question. But it's a question for you. Who have you invited? Who have you been praying for? Who are you encouraging to come to church? Now we're going to talk about three different kinds of people in this job description. Some people that used to be with the Lord that are, that are now walking away. And then you've got people who are here but not really here. You know what I'm saying? And then you've got people that aren't here at all and desperately need to be saved. Okay, let's stand our respect for God's word. We'll take a look at this passage. <clears throat> the Lord says, now this, this first statement, I could have just preached this. We could have just gone right here. Is it too small a thing for you to be a servant? That's the question. Is it too small? This is God asking the question. Is it too small of a thing for you to be my servant? I hope not. And then he gives us the job description to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring them back to Jerusalem. Those of Israel that I've kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. We're here today because God made this message a light for us that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says. The Redeemer and the Holy, the Holy One of Israel to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of the rulers, kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see you and bow down to Jesus because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. In the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people. To restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritance. 
to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on the barren hills. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will there be desert heat or the sun to beat upon them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from Aswan, which is the south of Egypt. Shout for joy, O heavens, rejoice, O earth, and burst into song, O mountains. You can be seated. That last exclamation is a reminder when everybody gets into the kingdom of God that the celebration begins. So we're going to look at this job description, but I, I got to tell you this first. I was back home uh, a couple weeks ago visiting my mom and dad. Mom fell. In fact, today's my dad's 89th birthday. Um, yeah. Um, dad's 89 today and mom will be 80, I think, a little, little later this week. And uh, But mom fell and, and uh, she got some stitches, kind of looks like a football, um, but, uh, but she's going to be okay. But while I was up there, I, I, I got in Dad's car and I was going to go for a ride. And I went west of town. I was out on Highway 47 that goes out between Troy and Hawk Point. Nobody? Been there? All right, somebody's been there. All right. Well, anyway, there, there's the area out there, there's a lot of hog farmers. And there's a lot of feral hogs. In fact, I think we have the hog in question. There he is uh, right there. So I'm driving along and there's a collision between the hog and my dad's car. So I called the highway patrol, and, and the, the patrolman said, listen, I don't know if you know this, but there's a $5,000 fine for hitting a hog anywhere in Lincoln County. So I thought about it for a minute, and I said, I didn't hit the hog. The hog hit me. So, <clears throat> so I went back to Dad's house, and I parked. They don't know who I am. And um, about an hour later, a trooper knocks on the door. Apparently, the pig squealed. <laughs> Later that day, we actually saw the hog walking through the backyard, and he was limping, and my dad said, looks like he pulled a hamstring. <clears throat> now I'm back behind the pulpit. No, okay. All right. So how's business? <clears throat> What am I doing to bring people back? That's the first part of the question. God said, is it too big of a deal for me to ask you to be a servant? See, we live in a society, even in the church, where we talk about people being volunteers. Listen to me. The church does not need volunteers. The PTA needs volunteers. The church needs servants. And there is a huge difference between the two. Because when you are a servant, you're not serving me, you're not serving the church, you're serving Jesus. And I love it. I've had this said to me many times in my life. I'll thank somebody for doing something and they'll say, Joe, I would never do this for you. But I would do it for Jesus. Amen. And that is, that is what... That's what the call is. So when we challenge you to do things, whether it's to pray or to serve or to give or to pack food or to teach children or, or whatever that might be, 
It's because God asks that question, is it such a small thing? After all I've done for you, is it such a small thing to ask you to be a servant? And the first thing he challenged them to do is to be a servant to help restore his people. What's he talking about? All these people coming from the north, the south, the east, and the west. He's talking about the Jewish people at the end times coming home, which is happening right now. Jewish people have been coming back since 1899, specifically after World War II. The Jewish people have been coming home from Russia. They're coming home, moving from the United States back to Jerusalem. They're moving from Ethiopia. There's a, there's planes flying out of Ethiopia delivering Jews. They're moving back to Israel. He said, I need you to be my servant to recover my people and to restore them. Now, what does that mean? That's the Jewish meaning, but what does it mean for us? It means for us that there are people out there who you know and I know. And you could make a list, and I want you to make a list. Who's missing? Who used to be here? Or maybe not here, just in Christ. You know, there are thousands or millions of people that are sitting at home right now all over America who would tell you they were Christians. But they just quit going to church. And listen, I get it. People get their feelings hurt. People get angry. The church lets them down. They let themselves down. There's a lot of reasons, but that's neither here nor there. Our job is to go find those people and to restore them. It's the kind of people you sit down with and they lead with, well, I used to do this and I used to do this and I was so involved and, well... A servant's call never changes, does it? A volunteer's call changes, because I only volunteered for six months. But a servant's call is a lifetime call. And our job is to help to restore people. Now, I have no right to ask this, and you don't have to answer it if you don't want to, but it was amazing last night. How many of you battle with diabetes? Can I see your hands? Yeah, there's quite a few. There always is. I wonder if you know this story. In 1922, uh, in Toronto, in a, in a hospital ward, there was a doctor named Dr. Best. That's a good name if you're a doctor, isn't it? Dr. Best. And they had come up with the idea of insulin. And they were in a ward with children. All the children were dying. They were all in a coma. The parents are all there wailing there in the hall. Dr. Best gave them the opportunity to take this insulin. He said, I don't know if this is going to work or not. And they started giving the insulin to their first child. And by the time they got to the end of the ward, the first child had already woken up from the coma and all these kids that they thought were dead come back to life. Now, if you're that parent, can you imagine that moment? If you're that child, can you imagine that moment? All right, But that's 1922, so this is a fairly new thing. But here's what I want you to understand. That God did not bring us into the world to make people feel better about themselves. The church's job description, the Christian's job description, is to bring dead people back to life. Now there's a big difference between, if you came here today, say, man, I hope I, I, hope I get patted on the back and, and I, I can feel good about myself. Well, you can feel good about yourself if you go out and serve. 
But our business is not to pat each other on the back and say, you know, it's all wonderful. Our job is to motivate each other and to help restore people who have wandered away and bring them back from death to life. Do you see that transition that needs to happen? Here's, here's what the scripture says. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That's David's prayer. After his sin with Bathsheba, he says, restore me. He begs for forgiveness. He asks to be restored to that relationship. And if you read a little bit further down, this is the great one. He said, if you restore me, I will spend the rest of my life helping other people learn how to be restored with you. That was David's promise back to God. To help other people be restored. Listen. We're not in Afghanistan. I don't think you're going to be beheaded for sharing your faith or just inviting somebody to church and, or, or making a phone call. You know what? They may get mad and say, I'd never go back to that church. I'm not going to any church, whatever. But my guess is if you make five phone calls, two or three people will say, you know what? I do need to get back. I, knew, I do need to be where God's called me to be. I like how one writer said it. said, I've been through too many storms to let one drop of rain stop me. And too often we let that drop of rain, that fear inside of us, yet you know deep inside some of your friends, they want to be back. They want to be a part of the body of Christ, but they need a little push to get through the pain that they've been through. The second group of people and the second part of the job description is to to reorder. It's to reorder what is out there. And he goes through that in this text, that you've gotten things all messed up. Now, Paul told Titus, Titus 1.5, he told him, he said, I'm leaving you in Crete. He said, we got a bunch of people saved, but you need to put things in order so that more people can be saved. So they had some things that were messed up. That's very true today. He said, in the text, he said, you, we need to bring the people back, but then we have to reorder the inheritances. They had, to, they had to put them back in the lands where they belonged. But for us, to reorder things means that we get people back into their natural state. See, when you and I sinned, what happened? We were cut off from God. When Jesus died on the cross, he brought us back to that relationship with him so that we could be forgiven and that we can be like Jesus. That's, that is the objective. So when we restore people and we reorder them, we're setting them back to their original factory setting. That's the whole point of being saved. See, when we walk out in the world, it's beautiful. God's created so much. But this is... This is a trash dump compared to what God created. His original creation was so incredible, and we'll see that again one day. But for now, we, what we're working on is reordering people's own souls so that they get back into a relationship with God so that they are reset to the Father's specs, so that they're living according to the Scripture. That's the challenge you and I have, and it's the challenge we have with other people, is to help get them back on track. 
And all of us know people. You, you say, oh yeah, they, they, they're in church or they go to church occasionally, but man, things are way out of order. And it's obvious in their life and they know they want help and they're probably talking to you and other people about, hey, what do I do to fix this? We live in a world of, here's the word, conspicuous consumption. Does anybody know that word? A simple phrase is keeping up with the Joneses. That we've got to have it, we've got to look like we have it, and most people... What it really comes down to, this started like in the 1920s, by the way. But what it really comes down to is that, that we will pay any price to make it look like we're successful, no matter how much of it is on loan. You can have the biggest, baddest car and the biggest, baddest house and not be able to afford it. But, or even if you can afford it, what is the purpose? The purpose is to show everyone how powerful I am, how successful I've been. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that if you can afford that and you can keep the rest of things in order in your life. But usually money is the toughest thing to get reordered because we want what we want. And the hardest thing is saying, you know what, how do I justify this when this is going on in the world? And everybody's got to ask that question. See, it's easy. And I saw it all over Facebook this week. Why isn't Bill Gates helping the people in Afghanistan? Amen. You know what? I don't have to answer for Bill Gates. God said, Joe Pudding, what are you doing for Afghanistan? Now, you get me a meeting with Bill, and I'll ask him for money, all right? I guarantee you that, all right? But God is asking us, what are you doing? What are you doing to help? See, and that's not just that one topic, but that's, but that's what God expects from each one of us. Let me, let me take it back to one of Jesus' stories. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, you and I are the salt of the earth, Right? Jesus said, I'm the salt of the, the, the earth. You are the salt of the world. I am the light of the world. Now you're the light of the world. Here's the problem with salt. And I actually did homework. I have pages backstage to try to get this right. So if you're a chemist, you can help me later. But in, if the, the salt that you have on your table, sodium chloride, is a mixture of salt and some other factors. So, because you put regular salt out in humidity, it will clump. That's why you have rice in your salt, so that it'll soak up the moisture. But you can only keep salt for four or five years, and salt will no longer be salt. But in Jesus' day, they didn't have as pure a salt as we had, and it was mixed with other things. And what would happen is over a short period of time, there would be a chemical transformation in the salt, and it would still look like salt... But there was no salt. There was no taste. There was no preservative. And what did Jesus say about that? He said, when the salt loses its savor, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by men. All it's good for is the dirt path. Because you sprinkle it on your, your steak, but it's not salt. Looks like salt. It's just not. Here's what Jesus was saying. Church... 
If you lose your saltiness, if you lose your edge, if you lose your love for Jesus, if you lose the vision of the statement that you're living for, that ultimate job description, I am here to restore, to reorder, and to redeem. And if we lose that objective, we lose our saltiness. And if we're not helping win people to Jesus, pretty soon we're something just to be thrown out and trampled on because we're of no value. But the last part is that we're in the redeeming business. And the last part of that scripture that we read in Isaiah 49 is that we are to redeem people. Now look, we live in a strange time. And I'll liken it back to 3,500 years ago. People are terrified of a plague. But very few people are terrified of God that stands behind the plagues. I'm not blaming God for the plague. I'm just saying... They're terrified of a plague, but that same terror does not translate when it comes to their eternal life. And the job, the message is to get people redeemed back into a saving relationship with Jesus. And listen to me, none of us that walk out here on this stage preach for applause. None of us preach for amens. None of it's it's nice. Do we like it? Yes. Do you encourage each other? Yes. But none of us is out here for that purpose. We are preaching to hear chains fall. We are preaching to to hear people get saved, to walk away from addiction, to change their life, to reorder the mess in their life, and to find a relationship with Jesus. And if you've not accepted Jesus yet, don't go home. Get it right. We have people that will be right up here, decisions. They'll help you online. I've decided Palm Bay, Deland, Ben and David are there uh, to help you. You just need somebody to pray for you. You come over here. But the business of the church is not to make people feel better about themselves, but to know that they are redeemed and saved and that they are in a right relationship with God for all of eternity. That is the sole purpose of the church. Now, if you look at churches that are dying, they have one thing in common. They haven't won anybody to Jesus typically in 50 years. The average, the average number of baptisms in American churches, you ready? The average church in America wins a half a person a year to Jesus. A half a person. Now, how, do, how does that work? And we've had uh, 200 baptisms so far this year. All right, so if how many halves do you have to have before you get a whole bunch of churches that haven't saved anybody? Our job, job description, is to help people connect with Jesus. And I, I read this quote, and, I, and again, because of the world I run in, I get to hear and see some of the most ridiculous things. It's a preacher in a liberal denomination. And she got up and she said, I got one, one comment to make. And this is what she said. She said, the great commission of Jesus is fake and racist. All right, let me give you the great commission of Jesus. It's in Matthew 28, Mark 16. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And now I'm giving it to you. He's talking to his disciples. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. Teach them, baptize them, and then teach them some more so they'll go make more disciples and more people will be redeemed. Well, fake? Well, she doesn't believe the Bible is the Word of God. So why are you 
preaching in the church. Wouldn't you love that? Yeah, my preacher doesn't believe the Bible. Well, I'd, I'd like to look at her attendance, but I know what it is. Um, and racist. How could it be racist? Go into all the world. Here's what she, here's what she means by that statement. What if what if I find Buddha is the answer? What if Muhammad is the answer? Well, the problem is, if she read the passage, it said, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. So she doesn't believe in Jesus. She might believe in everything else, but she doesn't even believe in Jesus. That's what's going on in the pulpits of America today. Ephesians 1, 7, however, says this to her. In Him, we have redemption. In Jesus, we have redemption. We've been bought back. He bought us back from hell, delivered us from darkness to light. Through His blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Sorry, Buddha can't do that. Muhammad can't do that. Your higher power cannot do that for you. Jesus, Jesus redeemed you. That's the message. Tim Mann is uh, my brother, preaches at Providence, our brother in Christ, and they're in, in our old property over there. He had a great quote the other day. Tim's a retired army man. He's just a slight bit upset with all that's uh, gone on, uh, as most of us are. And um, he put up this quote. He said, you know, I know there's so many things dividing the church right now, but I want to tell you this. He said, vaccinated or unvaccinated? You ready? He said, I'm not a doctor. He said, I have a doctorate in ministry, but I'm not a medical doctor. But he said, vaccinated or unvaccinated, we're all going to die. Now, you watch what's happened in Florida, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, Tennessee, New Jersey, New York, where you're watching people's houses and everything they own, everything they invested in, everything that conspicuous consumption could think of, and you're watching it float right down the river. We've all been there. We've lived it here in Norman. So what am I really going to set my heart on? What is the job description that God has given us to restore, to reorder, and to redeem people? So, Father, I pray now that you would move in people's hearts. There are some listening that have never accepted you. I pray that your spirit would move them. There's others that are here, but they're on the fence half in, half out. And there's others who need to fire themselves up again, find their first love and get back to finding people, restoring people, bringing family and friends back where they belong. God, you've given us a difficult job description, but yet a simply defined one to make it hard for people to go to hell by showing them the love that Jesus has shown to us. So, Father, hear our prayers now in Jesus' name.